Thank you, Kevin. It's a sweet spirit. And, uh, and the band was, had a good sound today. It led us in worship. I appreciate them so much. Appreciate Kevin. Well, if you've been following along, we're in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 today. So if you'll turn with us to the third chapter of the book of Romans. And I'm going to, we've got, uh, the, the our text is going to be verse 19 and 20 if you want to pull that up. But I'm going to back up and start with verse 13. I believe that's where we left off last week. Uh, Romans 3.13, we'll read through verse 20. Uh, while you're finding that, though, let me encourage you for next Sunday. We're calling it Roundup Sunday. Uh, a lot of times during the summer months, uh, people kind of get diverted and, and distracted with summer events, schools out, sports, and so on. Uh, and then it's just hard to get back in church again. I want to just round up everybody and encourage everybody to come. Uh, bring a friend next Sunday morning, October 6th, first Sunday in October. And uh, let's, uh, let's get everybody back in here for Sunday morning. It'll be exciting and, and a sweet fellowship and, uh, and I believe a, a, a great, great passage of Scripture that we'll look at next week. Well, Romans 3, let me begin to read in verse 13. Paul is continuing his description of a man without Christ. He says, verse 13, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses, bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. In their mouths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And now verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those under the law that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God are shown to be guilty before God. Verse 20, For by works of the law, no human being can be justified in his sight because through the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul has had three objectives in these first three chapters. Uh, he has had three goals in mind uh, from chapter 1 through Chapter 3, verse 20. That's a section to itself, by the way. He's had these three goals. One is he has wanted to show us that all men are under sin. And we saw that last time in verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9. Are we Jews any better off That is, than Gentiles? No, not at all. We have shown or we have charged that all... Jews and Gentiles are under sin. And last week we looked at that word under. What does it mean to be 
under something, under sin. And the Greek word hupo, under, H-U-P-O. It's used in Matthew 8, 24 when it says the disciples were in a ship in the sea and a great tempest arose so the ship was covered with, with or hupo under the waves. There, that, that Greek word is used right there. The waves were just engulfing them. And so to be under sin, hupo, under, like, like waves covering a ship and about to sink it. It's used in Matthew 17, 12, the word hupo. Jesus said, uh, what they did to John, they'll do to me. The Son of Man will suffer hupo under their hands. Talking about the Jewish leaders and Pontius Pilate. He would be under them. In the same way, Paul uses hupo. All men are under sin, like Jesus was under the power of Pilate and the Jewish leaders. So it means to be swamped. It means to be engulfed like the waters covered the disciples' boat. It means to be under the authority and power and abuse as Jesus was under the authority and power of the Romans and the Jewish leaders. And Paul says we have proven now in chapter 1, looking at society, he says you can just look at the history and the depravity that's all around us, and he says that shows we're under sin. And in chapter 2, the hypocrisy of the Jew, their judgmentalism and legalism, they are under it. Pride is worse than prostitution. That's what, what Paul would have said. And so you come then to uh, Paul's conclusion. Last week we looked at verses uh, 9 through 12. At, uh, we saw the explanation of being under sin. And then this morning, let's look at verse 13 to 18, the expressions of being under sin. Starting in verse 13. And let me remind you of something here. Uh, this is not even, I mean, we would respect the apostle's opinion, but this isn't even the apostle's opinion. He is quoting, and actually it starts up in verse 10, every phrase is from the Old Testament. Paul doesn't have a single word here. He only quotes in um, verses 13 through 18, to describe the expressions of our sinfulness, he simply arranges a list of scriptures. Uh, do we have that list um, right here? I just, I'm, just, I'm not going to look them up for you, but I just want to give you how in Romans 3, in verses 13 to 18, those are the verses that he quotes here in chapter 3. That, and that's just verse 13 to 18. It shows you that Paul knows the Old Testament and his view of human nature is biblically based. So this is not his opinion. This is not my opinion. This is the biblical view of human nature under sin. 
And it's almost like an autopsy. Uh, Paul quotes scripture of the mouth and the lips and the tongue and the feet and the eyes to show the nature of fallen humanity since Adam. Let's look at it starting in verse 13. Their throat is an open grave, verse 13. What does that mean? Well, it means that people are better off not to talk. <laughs> when, they, when they start talking, the natural man, it is like opening a grave. You know, Lazarus, they said after three days, Lord, he stinks. And this is spiritual halitosis. This is bad breath of the soul that the moment you open your mouth, there's something that affects you and you instinctively know there's corruption. So he says the throat is an open grave. Then he says the tongue, also in verse 13, they use their tongues to deceive. That is to exaggerate, to evade, to persuade others of error. And even, look at the next verse, the venom of asps is under their lips. Little poisonous snakes in the Middle East, an asp. And they have these sacks of poison above their teeth. And when a when an ass bites, it mashes on those little sacks and pushes the poison down through the teeth and into your flesh. Here's the thing about a, the poison of a snake bite. The bite hurts, but the worst effect is later. Uh, a lady called me on the phone some years ago and, uh, and called me some names. She was pretty nasty about things. And which, you know, uh, I've got my faults. So I tried to take it. And uh, it hurt, though. It stung. But what really hurt was later when I started thinking about it. <laughs> And I started getting angry and I started getting bitter. And that's the way people's conversations can affect you. At first what they say stings. But then the poison takes effect. And later it does more damage than in the beginning. So you have to be careful who talks to you. You have to be careful what you listen to. The natural man, apart from God, his throat is an open grave, his tongue deceives, and he'll inject you with his poison. And look at the next verse, verse 14. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Those two things often go together. You can hardly be in public 
without hearing the F word or corrupt language or obscenities. You have to hurry your children to the car. I was uh, at a bank some weeks ago making a payment and, and I got out of my car and walked to the doors of the bank and outside pacing on the, on the, in front of the bank was a guy on the phone. He must have used the F word a dozen times simply while I walked from the car to the bank. Inside, I made the payment, came back out. He's still on the phone, still doing it. Can you imagine living with that guy? See, uh, this is a mark of the lost man. Their, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness goes with it. Ephesians 4.25 says that for the Christian, though, here's the way we're to talk. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, only such as is good for building up that it may give grace to the hearer. What is grace? Grace is, is mercy and kindness and forgiveness and space. It gives grace to the hearer to build up. Does your speech build up or do you inject them with poison that later on brings them to depression and despair? And then look at verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. This means that they run toward violence. They have a tendency toward other people's pain. Their feet move them. Now, remember, uh, we're talking about tendency. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh man, he's out for blood now. It may not mean he's actually going to hurt them physically, but to be out for blood, it means you want to bring them pain. Now, when Paul is describing the natural man here, He's not saying there that everybody is to the same degree of corruption and depravity. There are some little children, for example, they, they hardly have developed at all in that direction. But that is the natural tendency and the path that we choose out of our nature toward pain in others. You see it, for example, even in bullying at school. In my, with my kids, uh, with four of them, they were always poking at each other and, and making fun of each other. And, and, and it was a lot of it, just good-natured ribbing. Uh, siblings do it all the time. But sometimes one of them feeling would get hurt and they'd cry. And if I happened to see one of them crying, I'd say, hey, cut that out, guys. And they'd say, oh, we were just joking with her. That kind of tells you who it was because there's three girls and one boy. Bud was the, usually the guy. And he, and he would say, I was just joking with them. And I'd say, now listen, if you're causing tears 
It's not funny. If you're causing tears, there's a tendency to cause tears. See, and here's the way this thing works. You look at the natural man. They're in varying degrees of decay. Ephesians 2.1 says that we are all dead in trespasses and sins. That is, we have no responsiveness toward God and toward His Word. But there are some people worse. If You know, I have seen a corpse after a couple of days and embalming and, and a funeral home has done its work, and they look pretty good. I've even seen them where the dead look better than the, when they were alive. <laughs> and, but if you give them 10 years, 20 years, ain't nobody looks good in 20 years. Now that's the degree, that's the extent of decay, but dead is dead. Whether they are dressed up, fixed up, looking good, smelling good, and laying in a, a, a $10,000 casket, and, but they're just as dead now as they will be in 20 years. You don't get deader. So in the same way, the natural man, as he grows and develops, that's the path he's on. His decay will worsen. His nature will become more corrupt. He will become more skilled in his sinfulness, but he's still dead to God. This is the man who does not know God. Look at verse 16 and 17. By the way, parents, this is why we need to reach children when they're younger. They are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. Introducing the gospel to a child at a young age, raising them in a Bible teaching church, it's the best thing you can do for them. Why? Because we're all like this to one extent or another. The old sinner is still a sinner as the young sinner. He just may look more like a sinner. Look at verse 16 and 17. In their paths are ruin and misery. Their, in other words, their happiness is short-lived. And verse 17, the way of peace they have not known. I was listening, going through, I was thumbing through the channels a couple of weeks ago, and I stopped at a, on a comedian who was actually kind of funny, and he wasn't using such bad language, at least that I couldn't sit and listen to it, so I listened to him a few minutes. And I thought, he's really funny. And it, it wasn't nasty or blasphemous. And I thought, who is this guy? I've never heard of him. In fact, I can't remember his name right now. But I know two or three weeks ago, I was listening to him, and I thought, I'm going to look him up. So I Googled his name. It brought him up. He was, a, he was one of the top 50 comedians in the United States. And he had a beautiful home. A flourishing profession as a comedian. He was performing on uh, 
uh, in Washington, D.C. at that time when he made the special. And I read on and it said he died in 2009. I thought, what? He couldn't have been 40 years old, 45 years old, 2009. And he was, it says he was upstairs talking to his girlfriend. He just went downstairs, took out a gun, shot himself in the head. And I thought, he looked so happy, so successful, so popular. He's funny. <laughs> Evidently not. Though in their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. So Paul is describing them. There's one other in verse 18. It's the issue of irreverence. They have no awe of God, no fear of God before their eyes. Notice how Paul has taken in verse 13 the throat and the tongue and the lips and the mouth in verse 14 and the feet in verse 15 and the eyes in verse 18. It's like the entire body is impacted by the fall of Adam's and, and his sin. The whole man from top to bottom and bottom to top. Therefore, we would say that under sin means to be a carnal person, means to be useless to God and His kingdom, means to be touchy and angry and hurtful in speech with a tendency to bring pain to others living a self-serving life, a chaotic existence. And in verse 18, without a fear of God, a reverence for God, a, a, a responsiveness to what God thinks about it, what His will is for me today, and what He wants me to do today. This is where we come to our text. In chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, where he says, now whatever the law has said, and he's been quoting verses. Whatever it says, it speaks to those under it so that every mouth may be stopped. We said there were three goals Paul had. One was to show that all men are under sin, but here's the second one. Paul wants to show that nobody should talk back to God. That every mouth needs to be hushed that standing before God in our sinful condition, we just need to be quiet. No defense, no excuses, no blame. Remember Adam, as soon as he sinned, and God said, what have you done? And what did, God, what did Adam say? The woman you gave me, she gave me that. It's Eve's fault. And what did Eve say? Uh, the devil, he told me about the tree. The devil made me do it. Do you know there's no devil in any of this? Do you know you don't need the devil to go to hell? You don't need the devil to be bad. You bad to the bone. <laughs> 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 I 
I mean, if I'm understanding the apostle correctly here, he's saying top to bottom. Just because your sinful nature has not swept you away in a tsunami of society yet, you need to know the tendency, the affinity that your nature has with the fallen world around you. So Paul's goals are to show all men are under sin and by quoting scripture to stop our speech, our self-defense so we'll be silent before the Lord. And then third, his third goal was to show that we are liable and accountable to God. You see that in verse 13. So the whole world be held accountable to God. The word means uh, guilty before the court. This is a very unique word in the New Testament. I was trying to find it. Where else is it used in the New Testament? It means the verdict has come in and you've been found guilty. There's no other place in the New Testament Greek text that, it, that this word is used. Held accountable, guilty, the verdict is in. What on earth do we do? Life will only confirm more and more what the apostle has described us as. Our best resolutions are insufficient. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And death will only reveal the eternality and permanence of our condition. In Acts 27... I was just reading Acts this past week. Uh, Paul is on a ship headed for Italy and he encounters this violent storm. It lasted 14 days. That's, that's heavy. Man, 14-day tempest. And all, everybody on the ship was scared and they finally, they lowered all the sails and just let the storm take them where it would. When that didn't help, they threw over all the cargo. Everything wasn't nailed down. They tossed it. Then finally, they got rid of the ship's tackle, the riggings, the ropes, the fishing gear, the emergency vessels attached to the sides. Everything had to go. It didn't help. And Acts 27.20 says... All hope of being saved was abandoned. See, really, that's where the non-Christian has to come. He thinks he's okay. He thinks his half-hearted efforts at pleasing God works. He has to be, by experience, brought to a place of hopelessness apart from the gospel. It says, then when all hope of being saved was abandoned, Paul stood up and he says, men, an angel of God came and told me tonight that the God whose I am and whom I serve is going to, is going to preserve every single person on board this boat. That's when God showed up. When there was hope nowhere else and nothing they could do 
God said, there's something I can do. When are we ready to put faith in Christ? It is when we have stopped defending ourselves and trying to pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps and saying, where I am right now, this is where God's got to come. He's got to come to where I'm at. I was praying, or maybe you could say I was complaining at my church when I was in Texas years ago. Some people had been criticizing me, and, and uh, it stung. It hurt me, hurt my feelings. Aw. And so I was whining to God. I went to the church and just knelt at the altar and was praying to God. And... You know, I can't say God speaks to me very much. But in that moment, it seemed like he spoke to my heart. And here's what he said. He said, son, you need to hush. If these people knew as much about you as I know, they wouldn't treat you half as good as they do. Does that sound like God to you? I say, that must be the devil. <laughs> no, that was God. If they knew what I know, dude, you need to hush. Have you ever been put there, hushed? I did need to hush. I have never been treated so bad as I deserve. So in chapter 3, when he says, you're under sin, your mouth, by these scriptures, you are to recognize it and stop talking and defending yourself and realize that you are accountable. The verdict is in and you're guilty. Then begins, oh, chapter 3, verse 21, a whole new section, but now, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, apart from law and prophets. They bear witness to it. It's verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Just simple faith in Jesus who bore our sins, paid the penalty. That is where God wants to take us, right there. Simple, pure, holy faith in Jesus. I came across this little poem I thought illustrates it. Long and dark the stairs I trod. With trembling I tried to find my God. I'd get a foothold, but bit by bit, I'd slip back and losing it. Couldn't progress, but striving still with weakened grasp and faltering will. There was a time when I lost my grip and fell thereby. It was down, oh, down to the lowest step was the fall. It was as if I'd never climbed at all. 
And as I lay despairing there, I heard footsteps on the stair. And when hope had ceased to be, God came down those stairs to me. Amen? Can't, striving, struggling. We need to stop. We need to hush. And embrace Jesus. In the moment, you have everything you've been struggling for. God loves you as a father in that moment and will never let you go. Isn't that beautiful? But now, but now, what a phrase. There's a righteousness. And it, it says, in most of our versions, in verse 21, it says, apart from the law, as if it's the law of Moses, and it does include it, but there's no definite article here. It's apart from law, any law, man's law, God's law. There is no law necessary here. At the bottom of the stairs, he says in chapter 4 and verse 5, to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly. <laughs> oh man, that got me into heaven right there. God doesn't justify the godly. He justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. What a verse. What a gospel. If you've hushed, it's the best thing that could ever come to your ears. Amen. May God bless you with it today. Open your heart, open your ears to it today. Next Sunday, we're going to begin Romans 3.21. And it's been called the greatest paragraph ever written. And I believe it. Romans 3.21, read to, if you want to read ahead, go to, read to the end of the chapter, and, and I believe God will bless us in it. Ushers, you come, let's worship the Lord Jesus Christ and, and give to His work, give to His church, give to His service. Pray with me. Holy Father, help us today to stand before you quiet, to know the verdict's already in against us, but that you're that final judge and your courtroom is supreme above all. May we hear your voice above the din of society and the clamor uh, of our own failures and the accusations of Satan. And may we embrace this day the justification of the ungodly. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen.